And these are the words of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, uh, excuse me, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, as is good for building up as, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are grateful, Lord God, that you sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. And Lord, we are presented uh, through this passage, we're presented with a new way of living in response to that love that you showed uh, on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to no longer be um, living in disobedience to your will for our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to continually uh, seek to love you with all of our minds, hearts, souls, and strength. And Lord, I pray that that, that love would be a motivation for us to uh, obey you in everything because we recognize, Lord God, that your design for our lives, your plan for our lives is much better than anything that we can come up with for ourselves. And so, Lord, we ask now as we uh, study your word, God, that you would just be here in this place, that you would prepare our hearts and that you would soften our hearts, Lord God, that we would not be hard-hearted, but that we would be ready to hear the message that you have for us. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys are probably wondering why there's a strange picture of me on the screen. Um, so part of that has to do with the fact that... Uh, the reality of, of the Christian life, what the, the Christian life is, is that it is a calling to put Christ on display. 
that is kind of the, uh, the, the, really the, the, main, the main theme of this passage, and that is one of the main callings of the Christian life. It is uh, in everything that we think, do, and say, we are called to put Christ on display. But what the Bible reveals and what, uh, what the gospel reveals to us is that we, though we are created in God's image, we don't accurately reflect yet what he looks like, Right? And so in a similar way, uh, this does not fully accurately represent what I look like, right? Um, it's similar. There's similar elements, uh, but, but not, it's not quite ex- an exact representation of me. And in a similar way, um, we who are Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, we are in this process of what is called sanctification, which is just a fancy way of saying uh, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more and more like Christ. And so that is essentially what Paul uh, is kind of unpacking in this passage. Um, in fact, there is a verse in, the, in another letter that Paul wrote, uh, Galatians, which I actually have tattooed on my arm here. Um, and it, that verse says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what this passage is here in Ephesians chapter four is really just a longer unpacking of that one verse. And it, it is also kind of an unpacking of what it looks like to put Christ on display. And so to, to kind of give you guys a little bit of a refresher or a, a reminder of where we are at. Um, so the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is really just unpacking the amazing grace of God. It's really just unpacking the gospel. It's uh, unpacking um, the truth that if you are a Christian, it is because that was part of God's plan from before he even uh, created anything. Um, we saw in chapter one, it says that, uh, that we, if you're a Christian, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the next thing that he talks about is how it was part of God's plan before he even created anything to choose you to be his child, to adopt you into his family. And he goes on and he talks about how not only did God uh, choose us before the foundation of the world, if, you're, if you are in Christ, but he also sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins and to rise again from the dead to prove to us and to the world that if you trust in Jesus, you will receive the forgiveness of sins. And not only that, but we saw in chapter one that the Holy Spirit is also at work. It is the Holy Spirit who, who changes, like uh, in this passage, it mentions hardness of heart. And we saw in chapter one that it's the Holy Spirit who actually changes our hearts. We do not have the capacity to love God and to obey God in and of ourselves. And so we need the work of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. And so all of that is, is unpacked in chapter one and kind of continued on in chapter two. And even in chapter three, it's really interesting. He, it's almost as if in chapter three, Paul wanted to move into this section that we're now in. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to explain the gospel just a little bit more. And we talked about how you can't really apply the gospel in your life unless you apprehend it. 
You can't really uh, begin to understand how it affects the way that you live unless you really understand what the gospel is. And so Paul goes to great lengths to explain the gospel to this, these Ephesians here in this letter that he wrote to them. And so chapters 4, 5, and 6 are now Paul's way of saying, in light of all of this amazing grace that I have unpacked for you in chapters 1, 2, 3, now this is the kind of person that you should be in response to that great love that God has shown to you. And so in this, this passage in particular, um, what this uh, passage teaches us is that, that uh, being a Christian is a calling to put Christ on display. But that is a bit of a tall order, right? I mean, anybody who, uh, who thinks about it for more than a second and, and is honest, like we recognize that we all, almost every, well, every day, we fall short of God's expectations for us. We do not live up to what God would have us. We are not obedient uh, in all of the ways that God would like us to, to be obedient. And so the question then is that should arise, this passage presents to us, okay, uh, display Christ in everything that you do, in everything you think, say and do, uh, display Jesus. But then the question is, how does that happen? Because I'm a sinner. How does that happen? Because I don't, have, I don't have the ability to do that in and of myself. And this passage, what it does is it actually teaches us three things that if we do them regularly, will begin to help us put Christ on display with our lives. And so the three things are, first, that we must be examining our heart's condition we must be examining our heart's condition. Second, we must be learning from Jesus. And third, we must be striving for holiness. So examining our heart's condition, learning from Jesus, and striving for holiness. So let's talk about that first one, examining our heart's condition. Look with me at verse 18. Actually, here, we'll back up to verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And then this next phrase is the, is the, the key phrase here. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous. Okay, so Paul, moving into now the command portion of this letter, first he talks about, um, I'm going to use a couple of words here that maybe, maybe are, you're familiar with, maybe you're not. Indicative. Okay, does anyone know what the word indicative means? Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. That's fine. So, and if uh, so, indicative if something it's like indicating, right? It's it's detailing. It's uh, so that's kind of the idea. It's detailing, right? Um, and so in scripture, you have this principle that you always see that that the indicatives of grace, that is, uh, the things that God does for you, are always coming before the things that we are supposed to do for God. Does that make sense? So the indicatives precede the imperatives, OK? 
okay? Two eyes help you remember it. Uh, the indicatives precede the imperatives, and an imperative is just a command, right? And so this section of the letter is the, the command portion uh, that Paul is moving into. Um, and, and so he notes, he notes here these four, condition, four conditions that are pretty typical of, uh, of us as fallen human beings. The futile in their mind or darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God and ignorant. But what's interesting is that each of these descriptors are tied back to this, this one source, namely hardness of heart. If you look at that, that phrase there in verse 18, it says due to their hardness of heart. That the Greek word that is translated as due is the Greek word dia, which literally means through or on account of. And so what Paul is saying here is that if somebody does not believe in God, if somebody does not uh, believe the gospel, it is because of the condition of their heart. It's because their heart is hardened. If you think about it like this, think about a tree, okay? So the, on a tree, you've got, you've got the trunk, you've got branches, you've got leaves, and then at the very tip, you know, at the very edges of the branches, you've got fruit, right? Okay? Unbelief. Heart, uh, unbelief and these other things that he describes there, uh, futility of thoughts, darkened understanding, being alienated from God, ignorant of God's design and God's desire for your life. These things are not, uh, they, they, they grow on the tree of a hardened heart. They're the fruit of a hardened heart. And so, what Paul is saying here, the encouragement that we, should, that we should take away from this, is that we as Christians, if we see things happening in our lives, if we see ourselves giving in to sin, if we see ourselves uh, maybe responding uh, in anger, in sinful anger, if we see ourselves um, being unkind to other people, we should immediately ask the question, what's going on in my heart? Immediately, we should be asking the question, what is the condition of my heart? And this is such an important thing for us to remember because we live in the midst of a culture that tells us that if you follow your heart, you will, you will find uh, the, the maximum amount of happiness. But what the Bible teaches, what God says, is that our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are sinful, and our hearts are naturally inclined towards rebelling against God. And so if we follow our hearts to the, places that, to the place that it wants us to go, it will lead us to the doorstep of hell. That is the reality of following our hearts. Our hearts will naturally lead us away from God and not towards God. And so if we are Christians, we need to be constantly asking the question, what, what is my heart looking like in this season of life? And a lot of times you can tell 
by the way that you respond to family members, by the way that you respond to friends who maybe are, you know, get on your nerves at a, at a particular time or, um, you know, later on when you guys are married, you can, you can tell the condition of your heart by the way that you respond to your spouse or by the way that you respond to a baby that's screaming at you at three in the morning, you know. If you get frustrated, you're like, man, there's something going on in my heart right now. So, so my question for us is, what, what is the condition of your heart right now? Are you seeing sins in your life? Are you seeing things uh, going on that you know go against God's design for your life, God's will for your life? If you are seeing those, it is because there is a hardness of heart that is happening. And this is where the gospel comes in. Because if the gospel is like a bright and burning flame of God's love. And so when our hearts become frozen over because of uh, our, our own sinful desires, the, the burning flame of God's love displayed in Christ on the cross begins to melt that heart, begins to melt that, that cold heart and make it soft towards the Lord. And so as we think about the fact that Jesus died for us, that Jesus came and lived a perfectly sinless life because he knew that you and I would never be able to obey God perfectly. He came and lived a perfectly sinless life, fulfilling every single obligation that God uh, demands of us as his creation. But not only did Jesus live a sinless life, he also in our place as a substitute, paid the penalty for our sins. He died to purchase forgiveness for us. And it is as we begin to think about that great love, Jesus said that there is no greater love than this than one would lay down his life for his friends. And it is as we begin to think about that love that Jesus has for us that our hearts begin to change. Because when I hear what you guys might hear me saying is that God demands this and this and this from you. And while that is true, guilt and obligation are not the motivators that God is looking for when it comes to our obedience to his will for our lives. What God is looking for, what he desires of us, is that we would love him in response to his love shown, shown toward us in Christ. And that our response of love to him would be the motivation for living a life of obedience. So ask yourself, what is the condition of your heart? And be constantly examining the condition of your heart. But not only that, uh, not only does constantly examining the condition of our heart help us to display Christ, but we also learn how to uh, display Christ better by learning from Jesus. We see that actually in verse 20. If you look there, it says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And so he's, he's, in verse 19, he's giving this description of saying, saying you know, these things that are not what God has for you, that, are, that are, go against God's design for your life, 
That is not what Jesus would do, right? And so the point that he's making here is he's saying that there is uh, an example of Jesus that we see in the gospel and in scripture that ought to inform us about what Jesus is like so that we can better uh, display him in our lives. If you think about it like this, um, I shared this on Wednesday night with the middle schoolers. Um, so before, <laughs> at least I don't assume Lindsay said this before she and I got married. Um, but so if you've, if you've been around and you have played uh, any sort of games that are competitive with me, usually I'll shout out the word poop uh, as like my fake swear word. <laughs> and uh, so it's funny because Lindsay did not say that. Like she's, she's pretty like proper. Um, and so she wouldn't say stuff like that. Um, but it's funny now. We've been married for over three years. And every once in a while she'll like drop something or, you know, something will happen. And I'll just hear from the other room, ah, poop. And I'm like, I had an impact on you. <laughs> Not sure it was a good impact, but it was an impact nonetheless. <laughs> and so my point in sharing that is you become like the people that you hang out with. You become like the people that you, that you know, right? And so for us, as if you are a Christian... And our, and our goal, as this passage states and other passages in, in the Bible, is if our goal is to display Jesus in the way that we live, then we should be asking ourselves, how do we know what Jesus is like? And the answer is found in Scripture. Because in the Gospels and in, in the Gospel itself, we see what Jesus is like. We see that Jesus loves sacrificially to the point... You, so the, even the word that is used for Jesus' love for us, the Greek word agape, and it's the, ki- it's the kind of love that is willing to sacrifice for another person. That's what that Greek word means. It means being willing to lay down your life so that someone else may live, so that someone else may benefit, being willing to inconvenience yourself so that someone else can be blessed so that someone else can uh, feel loved. That's the type of love that we see displayed, not only in the life of Christ, but also in the fact that he was willing to lay down his life so that we could be saved from the penalty of our sins and so that we could be brought into the family of God. And once again, this is how the gospel changes us. Because we see what Jesus is like in those actions that I just described. Or in uh, another one that we talked about back during the fall is uh, in John 13, where you've got Jesus sitting at this dinner with, with his disciples. And rather, he is the honored teacher at that table, right? Like he's not uh, washing the feet of the other people at the table was not his job. In fact, that was the job of the lowest servant in the house. And yet, it says Jesus, this is the amazing thing. It says Jesus, knowing that God had given all authority in heaven and on earth to him, with armed with that knowledge, he got up from the table, dressed himself like a servant, and began to wash the disciples' feet. That is agape love. 
the type of love that is not, uh, doesn't consider maybe what other people are thinking, but is just willing to, to, to get down on hands and knees and, and bless somebody and do the, the thing that maybe that you don't really want to do, but you know that it will, it will, be, it will benefit somebody. It'll make their day. You know, I think of uh, just really simple things like, you know, taking the trash out, like without being asked. Uh, I think of that because that's something that my wife and I talk about, right? But just really simple things of just being willing to inconvenience yourself, being willing to uh, set aside what you want in that moment to make somebody else happy, to bless somebody. That's the type of love that we see displayed in the life of Jesus. And so for us, my question is, do you actually want to learn from Jesus? Do you actually want to learn from him? Because if you do, you will get into the word of God. You will study the scriptures. You will study the gospels because it is in the gospels that we see what Jesus is truly like. And when we see what Jesus is truly like, we will become more and more like him. And so not only does examining our heart's condition help us display Christ, but learning from Jesus and his example as displayed uh, in, in scripture also help, helps us display him because we see what he's like. And not only that, but striving for holiness, which is our third point, helps us display Christ. Look at verse 24, and it says, And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, what's interesting is in this last section here of 25 through 32, it is really just a long explanation of what true righteousness and holiness looks like. But righteousness and holiness sometimes are words that are hard, hard to understand and hard to define because we don't really use those a lot in, in our culture. Um, and so to give you guys kind of just a basic understanding of what righteousness is and what holiness is, righteousness, in the very literal sense of what that Greek word means, it means to be as you were made to be. To be as you were made to be. Then the next question that we should ask is, well, how was I made to be? What is God's design for me? God's design is two things, that you would love him with all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength, which you would love him with all that is within you, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, that is righteousness. But then he also mentions this word holiness, and holiness is even more foreign to us uh, because we just don't talk about holy living anymore in the 21st century, um, which is a shame. But holiness in the, in the Bible, it really just carries these two connotations. It carries the connotation of separation and devotion, okay? Separation and devotion. And what I mean by separation is that when something was, was made holy, in the Old Testament and even, in, and even now in our lives, it, the separation is that it is separated from sin, that is separated from the things that go against God's will and then devoted to God 
and his will. That's what holiness is. It is a, a separation from sin and a devotion to Jesus. That is holiness. But then Paul, uh, being a good pastor, uh, decides to give some examples of what that looks like just practically in everyday life. Look at verse 25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So very simply, verse 25, he says, You want to know what it looks like to live a holy and righteous life? Don't lie. Tell the truth. Verse 26 and 27, you want to know what it looks like to live a holy and righteous life? To strive for holiness? Don't give in to sinful anger. Don't give in to sinful anger, right? He says, be angry and do not sin. So there is a sense in which there is a right form of anger and there's a wrong form of anger. And generally speaking, how you can tell the difference is if you're thinking about yourself when you're angry. If you're thinking about yourself, it's usually a selfish motivation, a selfish reason. But let's say, um, Devin, let's say you saw one of your friends being picked on at school. Um, you would be angry about that, right? Yeah. And that would be right because it is wrong to pick on other people. That is a perfect example of right anger. Now, if Devin went and like punched him in the face, that would be taken a little too far, right? Like that is wrong anger, right? But the, the initial emotion of, hey, that's not right. And feeling anger over that is good because picking on someone else is not part of God's design for our lives. God intends for us to be, as it says in verse 32, kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So not giving into sinful anger, but not only that, it says, share with others what you have. Look at verse 28. So he's saying, if you want to know what it looks like to live a holy life, share what God has given with you. But not only that, he goes on in verse 29 here. And this one, this one is one of the hard ones, I think, for us. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And I shared this with the middle schoolers on Wednesday night, but especially for guys, I don't know if it's this way for girls, but especially for guys, it's so fun to make fun of each other, right? We like to, we like to do that. And, and it's, it comes very naturally. But hear what God says is he says that if what you are saying is not building up that other person, don't say it. And that's a high standard, right? Because so literally we have to be thinking about everything that we say, especially us dudes, right? Because a lot of times we just you know, talk without use, engaging the brain. Um, <laughs> but, but what we need to be... <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying guys in general. But, um, but we need to be thinking, okay, is this thing that I'm about to say, saying so-and-so is a loser, right? Like, it might be funny in the moment, but is that actually building that person up or is it breaking them down? Is it actually going to make them feel encouraged or is it, it going to tear them down? So use your words to build one another up. You know what's amazing about the ability to speak is that no other 
creation, no other creature that God has uh, made has this ability to speak in the way that we do. And yet, we often abuse that gift to hurt people. Toby, Toby Mack has this cool song where he said, it's called Speak Life. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that, that song. Um, but the idea behind it, if I remember correctly, when I, I remember hearing him describe it on the radio one time, uh, his, it came from this passage where we often will speak death, we often will speak evil, uh, speak lies, all of these things. Instead, God calls us to speak life. He calls us to uh, encourage and build up other people. And the last one that he mentions, in addition to some other ones that he says, don't do these things, but then in verse 32, he gives yet another positive thing that we should be seeking and striving to do, which is to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so each of these things is what it looks like to strive for holiness. Each of these things is what it looks like to seek to live a righteous life. And when you're striving for something, it's not, uh, it is not as though it's this, you know, passive thing, right? If you're actually striving for something, like if you're running a race, you are working, you are trying to win the race. Or I think of um, recently, Evelyn, um, well, sorry, not you. My daughter's name is Evelyn. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my daughter, Evelyn, she'll, she's been kind of doing this thing. Like when she's hungry, she'll like move her head up. You know, she'll strain. And, and she's like, she's striving to let us know that she's hungry, right? She's striving to let us know that, that she needs to eat. She's not, certainly not passive when she's hungry. She'll scream and she'll cry and she'll you know, move her head around. She's active, Right? And in a similar way, like uh, Pastor Aaron says, that no one drifts toward holiness, right? It's the, that just doesn't happen. Seeking to display Jesus in the way that you live, in the way that you speak to people, in the, way that, in the things that you think about, and in the, things, in the actions that you take in everyday life, it takes effort, right? We're striving to live these things that Paul mentions in verses 25 through 32. However, these things, we can't do these things on our own. We need God's help. In fact, if you look at verse 23, look down at verse 23, it says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, what's interesting about that word renewed there is it's in what's called the passive present tense, okay? So the renewing that's happening, we are passive in the sense that God is the one who is at work in our hearts. God is the one that is at work in our minds, who is giving us, as it says in, in the book of Philippians, the desire to do the will of God, right? But then we, after having... Uh, God work in our minds and hearts, we live that out. We actually make the choice to honor God. We make the choice to love him. We make the choice to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we will not be successful in doing that unless we ask God 
to help us. So my question for us is, as we're thinking about this, when was the last time you asked God to help you display Jesus in your life? Think about that for a minute. When was the last time you asked God to help you love somebody that annoys you? When was the last time you asked God to help you be obedient to your mom and dad? When was the last time you asked God to help you honor your mom and dad, even in moments when you don't feel like honoring them? Because the reality is, is we can't, we can't be obedient to God apart from his help. So we need him to renew us. And I'll close, I'll close with this. There's a, a Zach Williams song that I really like. Um, and uh, the lyrics of the chorus, it is a, it is a prayer to God, okay? And, and it, the lyrics of the chorus say this, God, help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love, and faith a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, and a little less like me. And ever since I heard that song, that has been the prayer of my heart because so often I see me coming out in different situations, my own sin, my own disobedience to God, and it's heartbreaking. And so the amazing thing is that God doesn't give up on us. He is continually at work in our hearts. And so we just have to keep coming back to him and asking him, God, renew me. God, make me new. God, help me be a little bit more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And so that's my prayer for us. But once again, the gospel is how that happens. If you don't understand just how deeply God loves you and how, how he displayed that in that he sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for your sins and to rise again so that he could forgive your sins and bring you into his family and keep you as a precious child forever. If you don't understand that love, you won't have a desire to obey God. You won't have a desire to put Christ on display. So the gospel is what changes our hearts. And the gospel is what enables us, ultimately, to put Christ on display in our lives. Let's pray.